Well, hello, everybody. So some of you may or may not know this. Over the course of the pandemic, my family grew, and we added a child to the mix. And so now we have four teenagers living in my house, a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, and a senior, which means our mailbox is loaded with advertisements from colleges all the time trying to entice these kids to follow their next course of action in college at one of these schools that are trying to grab them. So as I get these mountains of mail, I've been looking at taglines that are written on them, trying to see like what differentiates one school from the other. And I will tell you, like here's some of them. The best business program in the nation. Another, create a definitive path to success. I like this one from Chicago, magnificent miles of opportunity, empower change agents. And I'll tell you, like after reading all these, they all kind of blur together. And in our life, when something is kind of generic at my house, we call it Kroger vanilla. So it's all kind of Kroger vanilla to us. And nothing jumps out as being like something that's so spectacular and different. So as I was writing my message, I was thinking, what is it about the Christian faith? If I had to create a tagline for our Christian faith, what would it be? What makes us so enticing that somebody who doesn't follow Jesus would hear it and be curious enough to want to learn more? What do you think you would use? What tagline? So we look at this gospel today, and here we have Jesus and his disciples. Now keep in mind, these are a group of men. A lot of these were, you know, misfits who didn't make it into following a rabbi along the way. So they went to do some trade here and there. And they are hanging out with Jesus. They're learning everything about Jesus. They're watching him do all this amazing healing. In the first part of the book of Mark, we learn how a lot of peasant villagers would go and follow Jesus and just to see what he was doing or to receive some of his healing. We also know that there were leaders that would oppose Jesus, and Jesus always bested them in debates. And this is what the, the um, disciples are witnessing. They're watching how Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And now you have Jesus talking to them, and Jesus is saying that he's the Messiah. He is the anointed king in which God will deliver God's people through him. And you can't help but to give the the um, disciples a little bit of a break here. I mean, they're watching all the fanfare. So they can't help but to look at this new title of anointed king through like an earthly lens, thinking that they might benefit from this. After all, they've been benefiting from Jesus's ministry all along. So when we see this little sneak peek into this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, where he's actually telling who he is, we have these disciples who aren't quite getting it. I mean, if you look further in the book of Mark, you're going to see that the disciples even start to argue who's the greatest amongst themselves. Or they go to Jesus and they try to position to see who's going to get the higher position in the kingdom. So they're kind of missing the mark. And so we have Jesus who is on this mission, on this godly mission, and he has all of his followers who are looking at it through a human lens. But that's not how Jesus did Jesus' mission had nothing to do with earthly glory at all. At all. But these followers that are around him, they're in denial that this, this um, ministry that he has, this mission in the world to go and heal people, they had no idea that the powerful leaders of the day were going to oppose it so much that it would cause so much disruption with the law and the order that it would result in the death of their friend. 
They couldn't get their brains around that. And so here you have Peter, bold, passionate Peter, who I love because I relate to Peter. And you have Peter who hears this announcement that Jesus is the Son of Man. And you hear him, he's listening to Jesus say, but this is my lot. I'm going to be suffering. I'm going to die. And Peter's first thing is, no way. That is not going to happen. And Jesus rebuke, or Peter rebukes Jesus' words. Now he gets a bad rap for that, but put it in perspective. If somebody told me, somebody that I love dearly, like let's just say one of my children came up to me and said, Mom, I'm going to be bullied. I'm going to be bullied really bad. And in fact, I'm going to be bullied so badly that I'm going to die. Mama Bear would come out and I would be like, uh-uh, over my dead body that's going to happen. And I would do anything to protect them. And that is exactly what is happening here. Peter's words is coming from a place of compassion and protection for Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't stand for it. Jesus sets the record straight. He looks right at Peter and he says these words, which I love. Get behind me, Satan. This is a mantra that I use in my life. I often say, I almost say it a hundred times a week. Oh, get behind me, Satan. I like to say, get thee behind me. I feel more powerful when I use that one. But here, what Jesus is actually saying is, there is nothing that is going to stop him from following through with this mission. There is nothing at all in this world that will keep him from sharing this, this love of God, this healing love, but it will result in his death. So if you really thought about Jesus' mission and what the tagline would be for that, maybe it would be not watch these miracles be performed or learn how to debate with gusto. No. It would be more like the struggle is real. More like must sacrifice for others. Death in the end. And if you had those taglines, if you had that as an invitation to Christianity, eek, how many takers do you think you'd have? But that's what's happening. And Jesus goes on to say this, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. It's the nature of the cross that points us to the suffering of all of humanity that points to the suffering of all of God's creation. That is the nature of the cross. So every person, I don't care who you are, I don't care how good your life might feel, we all have a burden of some sort that we carry. We all walk through the fire at some point. We all have a season of pain and suffering. And what we know, that this cross is a symbol of God's love for us. That in that suffering, we have a God who gets it. We have a God who walked in that pain. We have a God who knows exactly how we are feeling. So when we're hurting, we're not alone. This cross, and I'm looking this way because this big old cross lying next to me, is this unbelievable reminder that we too are called to be with people in the suffering because as we trust Jesus is with us, we can trust that Jesus will be with others in their pain. We can trust <clears throat> that even in our suffering, we can surrender to a Savior who's already gone before us. We know 
that this cross actually has a really great surprise. There's really good news attached to it. We know that it is there that God was made into man. And that means that God can set us free to go and love others in the same way that Jesus came to love us. So there's freedom in this cross. And when we carry our cross and we're, we're called to go into this world of suffering because it's there where we too can share this love with other people. But what does that mean in real life? Right? It's easy for me to tell you this. It's easy for me to say, carry your cross. But here's the deal. It means you got to get out of your comfort zone. Being a Christian is not comfortable. Being a Christian is not convenient. Being a Christian means we need to stretch ourselves to share the grace of God. And that is never easy. So we need to ask ourselves these questions. Are you and the values that you have, are they serving you or are they serving God? When we ask ourselves that, we know that that means we're going to have to get in uncomfortable, inconvenient situations so that we can don't not necessarily be logical, but instead trust in this paradox of God's grace. So let me give you a few examples. I had a 2 a.m. call the other night from Pastor Aaliyah because he uh, was out in Uganda going to serve a, a village that had no shoes, no food. They were in dire need. And he had packed up his van and he was going to serve them. And he, something happened to his tire and it shredded. Now at 2 in the morning, I could have easily rolled over and thought, oh, well, can't do anything here. And I could have gone back to sleep and served my own needs. Or I thought, I'm supposed to serve God's needs and God's mission in this world. So I was able to get up and help him and pay for that tire to get fixed so he could go on with the mission. Uncomfortable, inconvenient, but trusting God. And then we have another friend of our congregation, one of our longtime members, who has developed a friendship with a woman at Kroger, and a single mom who's doing her best to make ends meet. And she approached our member and told her that she needed a car. She needed reliable transportation, asked if we knew anybody who had um, an inexpensive car they'd like to part with. Now, our friend could have easily said, oh, good luck with that, and walked away. That would have served her needs. But instead, she served God's needs. And she went and called us here and asked us if we knew anybody in the congregation. She asked us to pray for this woman. She's continuing the prayers today in our services from the live stream. She posted a, a little information about it. This is the way that we pick up the cross and we love somebody else. Another one. We've had the, the warming shelter here. We know when we invite people from the community who are experiencing homelessness, we know we're inviting in people who look different, smell different, think different, act differently than we do. We know we're going to be stretched. And this past week, we were stretched. Our plumbing literally stopped working in Piper Hall. We were stretched. We easily could have kicked them out, said, okay, sorry, we're done. Our building isn't working the way we need to. See ya. 
and that would have completely served our needs. But instead, what we did as a church, we got the plumbing fixed. We have Piper Hall ready, and tomorrow we are bringing back in the Delanis rotating shelter because it's about serving God's needs. We could have easily been done with that scene. But instead, we recognize that the suffering of these people, some of the actions that happen are because of the discrimination they have felt, the addictions that they have, the loss that they've endured. So we can turn our backs, or we can sit and hold space for those individuals and show them the love that Christ first showed us. That is picking up your cross. So let me make you uncomfortable. Let's do some self-examining. I want you to look within yourself. Think about your own life. What area in your own life are you serving you more than you are serving others? Where can you make some tweaks to care for people who are suffering differently than you? I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 1. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. When we look at this cross through a lens, like an earthly lens, we look like utter fools who follow it. Without a doubt. But those of us who recognize that in Christ's weakest moment when he hung on that cross, it was really the most powerful moment for all of us, that's where we can start to trust. It was there where Jesus said, I need to enter into this pain and suffering. I need to take on the sins of the world because I will die and I will descend into hell and I will resurrect and I will create an eternal resting place for all of us. And in that power, all of a sudden, we recognize that we now, we now can go into the world and share that same kind of love with other people when we take up our cross. So we have this Savior who gets it, who entered into the muck, who entered into the pain and suffering so that we would never, ever, ever have to do it alone. And as a pastor, we often have people ask us, like, did I do this? Am I being punished? Why is God punishing me? And I am telling you, pain and suffering is inevitable. And I'll promise you, it is not because God is punishing you. Because instead, it's the exact opposite. We have a God who gets it, who understands this, who didn't give us pain, but instead reminds us that he's sitting there right there with us. So when we take up our cross, let me point out one thing. I'm not saying you should ever stay in an abusive relationship or in something that will cause harm because you're bearing your cross. That has been taken out of context in our Christian lens for many, many years, and it irritates the heck out of me because that would never be the case. Hear that loud and clear. But when we pick up our cross, when we sit in our suffering, it means that we have a God who enters into that pain of humanity, links arms with us, and gives us the strength to endure. So this is what I hope you get from today's gospel. That every time you open yourself up to the needs around you, every time you take time to love somebody who desperately needs love, every time we get outside of ourselves just a little bit and seek not what we need, but what the world needs, 
each time we get a little closer to what Jesus is saying here when he's inviting us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But there's going to be distractions. There are going to be things that are going to try to pull you away from God. And there's going to be this little voice that's trying to convince you that your way is the way. And it's there when we can call out to loneliness or shame or despair when all of that creeps in. And we can say, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. Because we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. That is a promise that we know comes true. So Jesus chose to take a world. He can't enter into it to a world that would rather hate, but instead he loves. In a world that injures, he chooses to heal. In a world that kills, Christ gives life. He offers mercy when others offered vengeance. He offers forgiveness when others wanted to condemn. And when those people were indifferent, Jesus always extended compassion. And this is because he trusted in God's promises. He trusted in God's abundance. When others said there was not enough, he said, no, no, no. There is plenty for all. Plenty for all. And so when he denied himself, we show, he showed how present God was and continues to be. And you and I are invited on that journey. So it brings us back to the tagline. What could the Christian tagline be? Maybe it's Jesus understands. Maybe it's Christ is right there with you. Maybe it's simply this. You are loved. So you are invited to imagine a life of concern for others, a life of true compassion for those who are in suffering, and a life of giving to those in need. Christ makes a promise. Anybody who gives up their life for the sake of the gospel will actually find it. So won't you consider giving up your life? And seeing what kind of life God actually has planned for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks that when we are drowning in sorrow, or when we feel like there's not another minute we can go forward in this life, you are reminding us that you are right there. When we weep, you weep. When we are sad, you are sad. And instead, you teach us to love. And you show us the blessing and carrying this cross and living a life for other folks, just like you lived your life for us. And in being a blessing, we receive a blessing. And this great paradox that you present to us, Lord, one that keeps us scratching our head because we always look at things through this earthly lens. Click it in our heads. Click it in our lenses so that we can now see through your eyes. So we can see the way we really are loved because of the way you showed love to all of creation. So whoever it is that's struggling today, Lord, who feels so abandoned, who feels so alone, pour your love into them so they know you are always present. 
You are always there linking arms with us and reminding us of how loved we are. So thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.